Hello, and welcome to Network Collective. Today, we're going to be talking about network automation, something that's discussed a lot in the networking industry right now. But network engineers have been using network automation for years, even decades. So today, we're going to look at some real-world practical use cases, and we have some great guests to help us flesh that out. So stay tuned. With us today, we have some serious networking talent that also have some serious network automation experience as well. So first we have Kirk Byers, who really needs very little introduction, especially uh, for this particular topic. So Kirk, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and where folks can find you online? Yeah, so my name is Kirk Byers and I, um, I generally teach Python and Ansible mainly through online courses. I also have a free Python class for network engineers really into um, open source quite a bit. So I wrote the NetMiko library. I wrote, work quite a bit on the Napalm project as well. Right, great. I, I actually have been getting your emails for a long time. So I'm glad you're here with us, Kirk. Thank you. Uh, next, we have Ken Salenza, who uh, is a veritable network automation wizard. So Ken, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and where folks can find you? Yeah, I'm, um, I'm in, uh, uh, I work at Network to Code. It's a, uh, a small boutique um, company that specializes in training and uh, network automation services. Uh, I've been in the industry for 15 years. Uh, and you can find me at uh, on LinkedIn, Ken Salenza, GitHub, It Depends Networks, Twitter, It Depends Net, and probably most actively on Slack on the Network to uh, the Code community Slack channel, uh, K Salenza. Cool, cool. I'm glad you brought up that Slack channel too. That's a good resource. And last but certainly not least, we have Mr. Ryan Booth, who I actually chat with from time to time about uh, networking careers, network automation stuff. So I'm glad you're here as well. So Ryan, uh, please tell us about yourself and where folks can find you. Yeah, good to be here myself. Um, my name is Ryan Booth. I've been in networking for 12 plus years right now. Primary focus has always been data center networking. Um, within my career, I've pretty much seen every part of the industry or every industry, service provider, financial, medical, government, even down small business. Mm -hmm. um, after I attained my CCIE back in 2015, um, I started just hardcore focusing on automation, current trends, and you know, improving my skill set and working with Python development tools, things like that. Um, you can find me on Twitter, that one guy underscore 15. Occasionally I'll blog at blog.movingonesandzeros.net and anywhere else I'm online, you can usually find me as that one guy 15. Cool. Thanks, Ryan. And I'm Phil Gervasi, joined by my co-hosts today, Jordan Martin and Yvonne Sharp. So let me start us off by asking kind of an open-ended question. Uh, so what is network automation briefly and why should a network engineer care about using it in their network? Yeah, so I'll, so I'll sort of start with a second part of that and that's the why should we care? Mm -hmm. And I, I basically think, you know, if you look across not just networking, but a lot of industries, technology, you know, technical and non-technical, you're just seeing this increasing movement towards more and more automation. And there's lots of things that we do in the networking world where they're very, very lendable to being automated that, you know, computers can do them very well and really I think should be doing them. And I think we probably should be farther along than we are given that we're such a technology uh, focused field, but you know, we are where we are and it's, I think it can reduce how much you do, save you time, mm -hmm. reduce your variance on things, get mm -hmm. more repeatable results. Um, 
you know, all the standard things why you want to automate things. And, you know, this doesn't say that the human intelligence isn't still required. It's just placed in a different location. Right. Yeah, yeah you thing, talked about, sorry, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, the only thing I have to add to that is uh, one of the reasons I say it is just, uh, I don't think any of us want to type switch port access VLAN X anymore. It's just, it's not fun. It doesn't add any value. And um, it kind of allows you, it frees up your time to do other things. Okay, so then, so then kind of as a brief general overview definition, what would you uh, guys say that network automation actually is? Yeah, to me, I mean, automation is just taking some part of a process um, and converting that into a manifestation in software in some way. And there's a whole bunch of different variations of how that can be represented mm -hmm. so that basically it, it no longer needs to be required to have human intervention, at least for some part of that chain. Right now, you know, you could still have parts that need human intervention, but you've taken something that previously was, hey, I'm doing this by hand and now it's happened yeah. automatically. Yeah, right, right. And of course there's some human intervention because somebody's writing the script to begin with, right? Um, but it sounds like uh, the, the kind of the major points you've touched on thus far were increasing efficiency, uh, decreasing the human error, um, uh, the, the human error in the, in the sense of, and there was repeatable tasks that can just kind of be abstracted away. Right. Yeah. And I think there's other advantages you get yeah. too that um, once you have sort of, you know, systemized your process, it's all there. So I know all of us as network engineers across a long time have witnessed this phenomenon where you learn something from an event, like you're doing an upgrade and X happens. Oh, I'm running this version and there's this mm -hmm. problem that I need to manually deal with by doing X, Y, and Z. And the nice thing about having this systematized is then you can bake that learning inherently into your process. Mm -hmm. So it's not just in, oh, Joe knows X and Jane knows Y and this other person knows Z. It's inherently into the process and you have a feedback loop on that process. Um, and, you know, there's things humans have to do like, oh, you have to update your process when you learn new things. But it greatly lose, you know, reduces this compartmentalization of people's knowledge and this losing of people's knowledge across time. So I think there's other, you know, pretty big benefits you get by doing automation. Yeah. And I, I know I said, I didn't want to talk about industry trends really, but I do want to touch on one thing. So I, you know, having been a network engineer for 10 years, I know that folks, use whatever programming languages they prefer to do this kind of work. They've been doing it for years. So why do you think it's becoming um, so much more uh, popular to discuss and, and then actually do among network engineers today in the past few years? You know, I definitely say there's a couple of big trends there. I think, yeah. you know, one of them is that we've witnessed what the server world mm. can do and we're sort of banging our head, um, you know, hand against our head and saying, why the heck can't we do that? Yeah. Um, and I think it's starting to make a pretty stark contrast. And then related to that, you know, there was, you know, 10 years ago or so, there was the whole movement towards SDN. And I know the acronym can be bashed, but I think just that movement caused people to be a lot more interested in software mm -hmm. applied to network engineering and the things we can do with software applied to network engineering. And you know, I think those are a couple of the big trends that really have started pushing automation more and more to the forefront. Are you talking about the abstraction of software plane from like data and management plane as far as servers? I, I know, I know one of the things that, you're, that we're going to end up talking about is how like in the server land, you can use chef or whatever, you know, whatever on box uh, uh, you know, automation technique. 
to, no, to, to I was do speaking, that. I was speaking a lot more generally. So, yeah. you know, I'm not really speaking about the historic, you know, mm-hmm. open flow, which is not that important or interesting to me, <laughs> programming the data plane. Um, Uh-oh. So, but I think the idea of applying software to network engineering um, is a very important idea. Okay. And there's a lot of ways that can be done and accomplished. So, um, you know, so while I might disagree with the original roots of SDN and, you know, I think it does have value in certain situations, but I think the more important thing is they actually got a lot of people interested in applying, applying software to network engineering in one way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. One of the, one of the questions I have related to that is what I see is our networks are getting bigger and we're ha- we have more and more devices connecting to our networks, right? I mean, most people don't just have a single device. They may have three. And mm-hmm. to me, it seems like the workload is just getting to the point where the same people can't support the same organization um, the way we used to. Mm-hmm. At least that's what I see in my world. I, I'm curious as to whether you automation guys have, have a seen or experienced any of that. Yeah, for sure. I think there's something to be said about the um, uh, person to device ratio, right? Whether it be network equipment or edge devices. Um, yeah, I think at some point there's a, a tipping point where you simply can't manage it by hand. So you you have no other choice but to go through. But I just want to hit back on, um, on one of the reasons I think it, it is picking up is, is I, I think it's uh, a bit of a snowball effect, right? So um, as if I look back 10 years ago, how I would have done similar things is I would create a Perl script for myself and I would mm-hmm. maintain that myself. And, you know, um, the open source community wasn't, uh, didn't revolve around like GitHub. It, it revolved around the source forge, which really mm-hmm. didn't have as many, um, contributors back and forth or kind of, you know, that interaction it was more of just, Hey, this is broke. You know, can you fix it for me? Now there's, you know, people putting PR requests and et cetera. And then as libraries get built and as things get built, it becomes easier for, for the masses. And then as that kind of um, uh, becomes easy for the masses, then they, they'll, they'll, one of the things I suggest for, to most people is to start with tooling, you know, whether it be, you know, Ansible, Chef, Puppet, Salt, whatever the case may be, and then move on uh, to programming. So as the tooling gets better, you can innately get more people into it. And I could just be a tooling expert and never have to really per se worry about Python or mm-hmm. whatever programming language. And then I could kind of uh, eerily, and then everything just becomes a snowball effect. You have more people using it, so more, more contributors, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's interesting, right? Because I think that also part of the, you know, part of the, the genesis of automation has been, um, we haven't really had fantastic tooling in the networking side. And that's why I think it hasn't been as, I mean, now we should have been demanding it, right? Like it's really what's, I think it's one of the things that's different is we're now demanding it. We're now demanding APIs. And um, I know Kirk has been, oh, it's Kirk's tool, right? For go in and, and, and log in and screen scrape and pull things out. And as, as, uh, as good as that tool is, it's still ugly, right? <laughs> like going in, sending a command that's meant to be a human interaction and then trying to interpret that. We're not getting back structured data. We're not doing anything. And so it's really hard to automate something that was never intended to be automated. And so, I mean, I've always kind of been mystified having having worked both in the system space and in the network space. It, coming over to the network space and being like, <laughs> why is there not more automation? And then you look at it, it's like, well, how in the world would I automate this thing? And you kind of have to be really, really capable programmer to automate anything 
for the previous generation of equipment. Now we're starting to see that change. And I think that's why the industry is changing too, is now we're starting to get access to things that allow us to automate a lot better. Kind of circular there, right? So why why is it starting to snowball? Because the uh, vendors are starting to uh, allow, you know, open their their network operating systems, that you know, Linux Onbox and things like that. And why are they doing that? Because people want to automate. And why do people want to automate? Because vendors are opening up their systems. So kind of circular there. But you're right. You know, you know, I, I it's pretty cool to get on a Nexus 7K or or whatever and and drop into a Python prompt. And uh, I don't do anything with it, but <laughs> it's still cool <laughs> to do that. So. Yeah, I think you you also get some of the pressure from, you know, the other teams. So, Mm -hmm. you know, in the past or any organization, it's kind of just known. It's expected that, you know, we need to deploy this new pod. We need to deploy this new application, whatever. Server guys for a while and the application guys have been able to automate that deployment, stand up their servers and everything quickly. But us network guys like, okay, yeah, I'll have those VLANs provisioned in a couple months. And we're getting that pressure now of, no, that's not acceptable. We need to move faster. We need to be more agile mm. with how okay. we go. I think, I think that's a great point. I think, um, you know, when I was uh, in past life, just being in the, in the enterprise world, um, you know, let's say the last three to five years, your, your biggest competitors were, were not uh, offshoring or, or co- contracting out. It was really everyone coming to you saying, hey, I could click on a button in AWS and I'm, I have a server. I could go to Gmail and I have 10 gigs of, of uh space why can't you provide this um so you, you essentially had to kind of uh meet with those demands uh as as well because you know it, to allocate an ip address to take weeks is just no longer acceptable mm-hmm. and so, network automation helps us to get there right absolutely okay so one thing that ken mentioned earlier that i'd like to talk about because i think there's some interesting ideas around it is this um you know is where should people start um on this and I still think you should start with a general purpose language. So I teach both mm-hmm. Ansible and Python. Um, and I, I sell courses in both, so I don't have that much of a vested interest one way or another. But, and I think I actually have a different opinion here for the server world than the networking world. To me, um, with Ansible, there's still too many glue components that you need mm. to do. And I still think Ansible is fundamentally programming. I think, you know, people can marketing spin it how they want it to not be programming. But when you get down to it, it is still programming. And there's just too many glue components and too many special operations that you need to accomplish. And without some amount of general purpose programming knowledge, and that bar probably isn't all that high. You know, I think you're sort of in a, in a race and you're missing a core capability to be able to succeed. Hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't fundamentally disagree too much. And Kirk and I have had some kind of side discussions and um, I, I tend to uh, go with this idea. If, if I have Ansible to uh, handle 90% of what I needed to, and I kind of need to, to, to fudge it a bit for that last 10%, it really doesn't fit well in Ansible. Well, I'm going to make it fit. So it's, it's just in one platform. You know, um, there's, there's no hard, hard line. And, you know, and, and I don't even want to, you know, stick on, um, Ansible, like just any tooling that that you could use. Um, and even in Ansible, you know, the choice is really yours because, and we can talk more about Ansible, but there's various ways to solve problems in Ansible. And one of those ways is you can basically break out into Python and say, 
the heck with this other solution. I'm just going to write some Python code to solve my problem. So, you know, some of these choices are not as clear cut of like saying, oh, are you in Ansible or are you in Python? Because, you know, you can be bridging the two basically. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, you know, um, like to get started, I, I tend to say, like I said, t tooling, but then exactly as Kirk was saying, um, very quickly, you're going to find that the shortcomings, right? Because if they don't meet your, you know, snowflake type needs and all the time I'm breaking out to, you know, uh, custom filters or, uh, building Ansible modules, uh, or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, and I so think there's, it, you, did, you know, I think there are certain things from a learning perspective too, that can be challenging. Like, for example, to me, when I look at complex Jinja 2 and Jinja 2 as a templating language, it makes me want to bang my head in the wall because it's, it's really um, difficult when you get to complex examples of it. And those examples are much, much simpler um, straight in a general purpose language, whether that's Ruby or Python or Perl. But, you know, you can pretty, get, pretty easily get into situations in some of these frameworks where they're not very friendly situations. And yeah, you can get yourself out of them, but it can be pretty ugly getting yourself yeah. out of them. And sometimes I have to like uh, take my own uh, past experience to kind of like, Jinja um, doesn't bother me, you know, uh, Regex doesn't bother me, come from the pro background, you know, so I, I maybe have a skewed view of things, but, um, you know, let's say to get started with Jinja on a layer two campus switch, I think it makes sense for people very quickly out of the box, you know, because it's, oh, I could see my configurations, you know, my, my standard iOS, EOS configurations, and I could see where the variables are and I could see where the for loops are. So it, it's very, to me at least, very visually representative. Now, again, to Kirk's point, um, you, once you kind of get any more complexity in there and, um, you know, if it's not a, let's say, one-to-one -one mapping, um, you, then it does become, you know, Ginger can quickly become out of hand and uh, not, not the best, best tool per se. So what, what languages or tooling would you guys recommend then for somebody who doesn't have 15 years experience? So starting on the ground floor, CCNA, CCMP, and a few years networking experience and wants to start automating. Yeah, yeah I would sorry. say- for, Go ahead, Ken. Oh, sorry. Um, you know, it, to me, it, it's where the industry is. You know, I, I, tend, we, I tend to have a lot of com conversations of where we're going, where we are. And, and yeah. I, I tend to be a person of where we are. And, you know, uh, five, six years ago, you know, you had CPAM modules, right? And that was great. But now you have NetMiko, you have Napalm, you have Ansible. So to me, the clear winner right now is Python. That's not to say that Go or Rust is not gonna, is gonna be right around the corner, but the, the network drivers to me are one of the biggest pieces because you, you don't wanna be in a, you know, Kirk is in that business of building these network drivers, but on the mass, it's not a business you're gonna scale very well yourself. Mm. Yeah, and I think a, an important part on top of that that I, I was having this conversation actually this morning over breakfast is, you know, the trends could shift. Everything could go to, you know, a different language, just like Ken said. But I think one of the most important aspects of that is as you're picking up your first language is learning the basics, learning the fundamentals. Because even though you're shifting from language to language, those fundamentals are most likely going to stay the same and they can transition easily. So as, as a network engineer myself coming in completely fresh, mm -hmm. that was one of my, one of my key focuses was understanding those fundamentals, understanding those um, basics. Well, I think it's, I think it's the thinking, thinking programmatically. Right. Right. So, you know, a, a completely non-automated network environment, I don't have to think about it programmatically. I just kind of look at it and say, okay, this thing is broken. I need to fix it. Or I need this new feature. What do I need to do? 
when you start thinking about things, you know, with the idea of automation and programming in mind, uh, whether it's through um, tooling or programming, you have to you have to think about it more in the lines of there has to be some logical structure. I have to have, you know, it, some things have to be in place before I can really start doing anything with it. And I have to think like a programmer. I have to think like, you know, you don't have to be the best programmer. That's one of my pet peeves in this, you know. Every network engineer has got to become a programmer. It's a whole other episode. We probably shouldn't dive into that one. <laughs> but uh, it's going to be a good one too. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure it will. But um, but the idea, like 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 Ryan was saying, is when you start looking and learning a programming language, there's some really fundamental things like string mm -hmm. manipulation and loops and variables and how to work with those things. Those things are universal. It doesn't matter whether you're using them in in, in Perl, Python, Ruby, whatever. It, it doesn't it doesn't matter what language you're using them, and, and they translate quite well into some of the tooling as well. Um, so those those. Those concepts, it doesn't really matter which language you learn, you learn the concepts. Um, I was not a Python guy. I had learned using other languages. I took Kirk's class and it got me up to speed on, on Python mainly just because I could, okay, here's where it's different and it handles this differently. And it's more of a looking at the differences between the two rather than having to learn a whole new language. And uh, yeah, so it's... But even so, even if it was learning a whole new language, so for somebody who's got a like I said, a few years experience and a CCNA and they're a network admin and no programming experience. Python's not hard to pick up. Python's no. just not that hard to pick up. It really isn't. And I think no. that that's what I was leading to was the fact okay. that, yeah. that not, not that, you or know, on the same page. Yeah. One particular language is better than another or easier, yeah. but the idea is it's not, the language isn't the important part, Yeah. right? The yeah. language is, it's learning how to think about that way and then find the one that suits your needs. Okay. Yeah. And one, one other thing that I think is worth talking about here is that, you know, while I think from a learning perspective, you need to spend a certain amount of time with a general purpose language. Mm -hmm. I think from an automation perspective, you really should be looking for a framework to do okay. things. And, mm -hmm. you know, you could talk about whether you should use, you know, Ansible or Salt or something else. But I, you know, I think you probably want to try to avoid, you know, the create my own system syndrome. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think you really want to try to leverage the things that a framework like Ansible or Salt or something else will give you, you know, Chef, Puppet, what have you. And I think in the networking world, Ansible and Salt are clearly ahead of the others. So you probably should be choosing from one of those two unless you have a really good uh, reason not to. But those things provide really valuable benefits. So you should be strongly thinking about trying to use one of those. Okay. So now I'd like to I'd like to move on to I'm looking at the show notes here and I see that uh, I don't know who put it in there but there's three areas of uh, automation which I think is a really good uh, really good thing to touch upon here um, automated deployment configuration management add move changes that sort of thing validation and then troubleshooting and uh, visibility so why don't we take a moment and talk about those what do you guys think about uh, those three areas. Yeah um, I would say part of it you know one of the things. Um, you know, I put in some of the notes was um, mm -hmm. just the the journey that I tend to see is um, about getting information at first, right? So I just need to okay. know what the state is, whether it's configuration state, operational state. I kind of need to know that. And it, it generally lets people kind of get their feet wet um, without having to actually touch anything, right? Then so you're not pushing config is what you're saying? Not pushing config, yeah. yeah just getting just, that information from the box. Absolutely. And, and it's okay, structured cool. format so I could query it later. I could put it into you know, a JSON file, a database, whatever the case may be. Um, and, and, you know, let's say, um, you know, uh, I had a certain engagement where uh, the customer was looking for, hey, we have these specific troubleshooting steps. Um, 
that we take. We run these commands, and it takes a while mm-hmm. to run these commands. So you know what? We, we you know kind of wrote something to go out and just run the commands, present them for you, right? So that seems to be like kind of you know one of the basic things. And, and again, like I said, it helps people get their feet wet. Then then becomes kind of push configurations um, uh, additively, right? Let's call it. So I, I'm just going to say that VLAN 10 should be there, but not that VLAN one through nine and 10 through you know 4,000 should not be there. Right. And then kind of moving on to the, uh, the next step of being fully declarative. Right. And, and that's, it, it's certainly a, a large part of, of, of a journey. None of it is going to be, you know, if you get to that part within you know 12 to 18 months, that, that'd be very impressive. Right. So, um, but yeah, I think you should be, you should be looking down these different areas and, and saying, you know, how would I use these pieces? Where would I use these pieces? Uh, so I'd, and I'd, I'd add, and this is totally consistent with what Ken was saying, but I would look for certain areas where you have high value you're going to get out of it and you have low risk. Mm-hmm. So with That's information gathering, there's only yeah. so badly you can screw things up. Whenever you start transitioning into config, the risk of screwing something up goes higher. So when you migrate into the config area, look for the same principle. What's pretty low risk but that's a pretty big win. And you keep sort of repeating that pattern of trying to, you know, expand farther and farther into what okay. you're doing. Yeah. I, I, I wanna, sorry. Just wanna, I, I want to add one thing to that. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Just want to add to that. Like one, one, of the, one of the things when we get scoped sometimes, you know, it, it tends to be, you know, we're going to solve the world. And we say, no, we're, we're, let's take this back. Let's really break this down to actual sizable chunks mm-hmm. because there's, there's, you know, from our perspective, there, there's nothing worse than not being able to deliver. And, and simply put, when you initially look at automation, you don't even know what you need per se. As you build, as you see YAML files, JSON files, what is being done, you could, you have, you can be more intelligent to say what, what you need going forward. And, you know, we, we want to deliver, you know, the, the best product in actual sizable chunk products to our customers. And, and I was just right. going to give a few practical examples of what I've seen done with automation in an environment where I've worked um, and to give people ideas for things they can do with automation. For example, um, we, we had a, a network automation guy write a script that crawled all of our devices at a site, show you all the MAC addresses. And if, if you're doing a major migration to know, you know, we need to put these ports on a different VLAN um, because we're making a change. And so you can, you can automate that from an information gathering standpoint and still do the work manually. And then you can transition into having your automation tool go in and automatically change those VLANs. Uh, wireless LAN controllers are another great example. There are some, at least with Cisco wireless LAN controllers, there are some oddities with uh, VLAN mappings to SSIDs, especially in FlexConnect. And so you can pull all that information and put it in a in a CSV file or in some sort of sortable searchable format so that you can easily see if there are mismatches between VLAN IDs and SSIDs. Um, and, and you can do that in... 30 seconds as opposed to this manual clicky clicky process to go through the user interface. Um, Those are really fairly simple things that can uh, save your networking team a ton of time just by presenting data in a way that makes sense. And those are some pretty straightforward examples. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. That's, That's actually the point where for myself, that's what I've always recommended, or that's where my I start my approach from or have is, you know, all of us network engineers and even um, 
even teams have either wikis or we all have our own personal text files or Word documents that if we're going, we're being asked to do task A, we have a list of commands that we're going to run in there and we're going to run. Um, or we hand that off to tier one, tier two guys and say, hey, go collect all this stuff or track this down. And that list of commands right there can quickly be automated, build it into mm -hmm. a playbook, build it into something. And it doesn't have to be something that gives you back this massive amount of intelligence. Just structure the data, give it back to me and put it in like a report style or dump it out as a, a CVS. And then that, that allows them to pull that data or someone to very quickly just run that playbook and then present me the data while I'm still waking up and getting coffee during a P1 in the middle of the night or whenever. And yeah, that's, that's a, that's a quick win right there. Mm -hmm. And just troubleshooting time savings, right? How can I get data quicker as opposed to iterating through 10 devices manually in the CLI to find a MAC address? I mean, if I could write a script to find a MAC address and tell me which switch and which switch port it's on, and it can run in 30 seconds where that would take me maybe 30 minutes to crawl through. That's a huge win. Yeah, and it's, there's no risk. There's no risk to, to developing something like that. Right. And kind of along that line, <laughs> a little bit different than kind of the general way the conversation has gone, but with that idea of, of troubleshooting and, and scripting that, um, I've seen, you know, some, some scripting done with EEM, right, on Cisco devices where, where a problem happens that may be transient. All of a sudden you get a CPU spike. Mm-hmm. And it may happen at two o'clock in the morning or may happen about four o'clock in the afternoon. You don't know when it's going to happen. You have no idea what's causing it. Um, but being able to trigger that off and then script your troubleshooting, show me, you know, my, my CPU history and show me my memory utilization and show me all those things to kick off on that CPU so that you can do that. And so this idea of finding those places where you can, you can quickly win. Yeah. Um, that's not, you know, it's not a, uh, an incredibly intelligent script, right? It's not, it doesn't take a massive amount of programming capability to make that happen, but here it is, this thing that would be transient to somebody who didn't know how to automate that process becomes available to you, you know, to, to get a, to get a win. Yeah. What, one more add on to this is um, kind of where I made my initial bones in, in scripting was just, you know, this idea of the idea of your configurations are largely 99%, you know, uh, the same, you have 10 variables in there. Right. So even if you don't get to the point where you're applying the configurations automatically, generating the configurations, uh, you know, via a central, you know, a Jinja or whatever templating system, uh, I, I think is, is vastly valuable. Like, you know, I, it, pretty much every organization I, I've been at, I've kind of taken that with me, um, you know, maybe initially in, in Perl, then to some CPAM module and then now into Jinja. But um, I, I think that's a, again, a great way to get started. And, um, and that also has the, value, you know, yeah, that this all has the real value of, you know, there's, you know, 20 different ways to do X things, but when it comes down to it, the, you know, the value of one versus the other is outweighed just by the fact that you have all this variation that engineer one does it this way and engineer two does it this way and engineer three does it this way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, us network engineers, we can haggle for hours over which one's marginally better, but it's a bigger problem that we have that variation and just, you know, doing what Ken is saying there with the templating and standardizing your configs and what's generated, you know, can help you across time to start reduce your variation, which in the long run will also help you do more automation. Oh. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, and interestingly enough, as I kind of uh, build configurations or done auditing against, you know, uh, configurations, there was always a fingerprint per engineer. So I could always tell who did it 
based on the way they name the descriptions or, you know, where they, where they wait, you know, and, and, and it's funny, there's, there's, you know, you have those standard docs, but nobody fully commits to them. They all have their own and everyone goes, Oh, I just take this doc. Then I remove this line. I remove this line. And you go, wait, well, why don't you push that back up the doc? Well, you know, you know, whatever, you know, yeah, so but it, to be fair, Ken, to be fair, a few shows ago, Jordan brought up the idea that we're network artists so there is an element of artistry and flair that we want to add to every config. Uh, that's, that was not the context. No, it wasn't, but I reserve the right to pull it right out of context and use it as I feel. Is that, is that so, network artists or network masochists? Or network artists? Are, are those mutually exclusive? Yeah. No, not really. <laughs> so an example, we, oh, sorry, go ahead, Jordan. Please. We've been talking very operationally and, um, mm -hmm. and it's good. So we're talking like uh, focusing, like thinking about the, the enterprise engineer, the guy who's sitting in the cube who's managing a network. Yeah. Um, but this idea of templating and scripting and automating configs, like I'm from a reseller. Right. And so, you know, I just, I recently did a project at a hospital, replaced, I don't know, there's like 150 switches. Right. And I wasn't changing the way the switches operated. We were upgrading them. Um, and we were going from individual switches to stack switches. So there was a one-to-one -one replacement, but it wasn't quite the same and it wasn't configured the same across the, the board. And so I was able to use, you know, I was, I used Python. I, I pulled down all their configs, generated new configs based off of what they had instead of having every VLAN and the entire network on every single switch, only deploy the VLANs that were needed for the switch, you know, kind of did some cleanup, but then every switch had that same templated feel, but I was able to reuse the information that was already in the network by, by pulling and using that and filling in those variables. And then when we went to go stage all those switches, man, it was all of them all at once. Apply text files, we didn't, it wasn't automated deployment. It's very manual deployment, but using automation, we were able to to make sure, and there wasn't a port that was missed because cool. it, wasn't, it wasn't me copying 100% and pasting. success, huh? That's yeah, pretty it, good. It wasn't yeah. me copying and pasting it. If it was me copying and pasting, it would have been like, what, 20% success? I'm missing, yeah. you know? Well, <laughs> like, copying, you, know. you joke, but copying and pasting, yeah. <laughs> copying and pasting is the traditional network automation, you know, method, isn't it? Notepad is our most <laughs> favorite text editor and copy paste, you know, copy pasta, right? Um, secure our secure CRT secure in the chat CRT. window. There you go. Which actually Ooh, I still do. I, like <laughs> I still do that. But uh, to throw out one quick example that I use all the time because it, it sticks in my brain. It was the first time I ever uh, was you know having to think about these things as far as automating tasks was a uh, really big ice project. And I and I use this example every time I talk about network automation with folks with my students and at work. And we had literally thousands upon thousands of access switches and I don't know, tens, thousands, hundreds of thousands of ports uh, that needed dot one X configuration, that sort of thing. But even before that, we needed to just pull information because as you guys know, uh, you know, the, the certain hardware and software requirements for, for putting, uh, for running, for running ice. Uh, we needed to know what we had out there because we didn't have good good documentation. So for a while, I was doing show, show CDB neighbors, switch by switch by switch, just to track stuff, and then doing a quick show ver and copying stuff. And it was painful, painful. I don't want to tell you how much I made, but it was an entry-level salary, right? And I was doing that for like two weeks. My company wasted, I, I don't want to say it was a waste because I did work, right? And we got the project moving along. But man, I mean, think about how many hours I put into that. I, I, you know, I, I didn't I didn't know much better. So, you know, I, I claim ignorance there. But that's an example of a, I think, a really practical use case that, that folks, are, you know, people are putting ice in today, right? And doing inventories of 500 switches or, or even less, right? So I don't know if you have an example like that. Um, 
that you can think of, but uh, uh, certainly that was something that was meaningful, right? Um, both to the bottom line, dollars and cents, time, uh, the monotony, because I hated myself for those two weeks. I didn't hate myself. I hated my job. Let me change that a little bit. <laughs> I hated myself a little bit, but man, it was miserable. So anyway. Yeah, I'm actually just finishing up in, uh, or maybe finish up a phase of engagement where exactly the same thing. It's, it's yeah. uh, a 2.1x configurations. And they just wanted the auditing. So they have the compliance check to sit there and say, mm. you know, we have 60,000 ports. How many of them have the configuration on there? And, you know, these are um, 4507s all, all fold out, you know, so yep. literally 10,000 lines of configuration code, right? So um, if in one port out of there is missing one line, which that has actually happened, like, however, you know, when, when it was copy pasted in, it was missing one line, yeah. it, it, technically out of compliance. Um, so it, it it's impossible for them to go through it. There's, it's not even reasonable that they would ever go through it. Yeah. Um, and you actually have the reporting of it to sit there and say, what percentage, you know, how many ports do we have? How many, what percentage of, of ports are compliant? Which ones are not? Which ones are system yeah. ports or uplink ports, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and especially with that really, you know, sort of repetitive, you know, at a certain point becomes brain dead kind of work. You know, they, it wasn't brain dead when it was originally created. There could have been a lot of thought there. But when you're copying it over and over and thousands of times, it's also just really easy to screw it up. You know, um, even for very, very diligent people, you just get so bored with that operation that it's really easy to miss something. And you ultimately add no value to the company by spending all that, yeah. that time uh, copying, pasting, you know, over and over and over. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was a spreadsheet guru for those couple of weeks and, and the solution to make it quicker and better was to add more people, not to figure yeah. out a better way. Well, that's what happened. We started to pull people from, you know, uh, around the country, you know, global companies. So we started to pull people on what a waste. So I, I do have a, a question for you. We've talked about Python and we've talked about Ansible quite a bit, but there were a couple comments about how Ansible is a Ansible is a is a preferred uh, uh, tooling method. Why why is that? I, I'll, I'll take this. Go ahead, Ken. No, I would say I, I would start with. Um, I, I just think from what I've seen, it's been the um, the, the lowest barrier to entry, and I do agree mm, okay. with, with person. It is certainly it is a programming language. Like it, it, you know, it has all these aspects of it. Um, but just to sit there and, and get something functional back the quickest, it, it's there. And again, yeah. it's, it's a snowball effect. As people have been developing Ansible drivers. You know, now, if, if, if you work on iOS, you have the Ansible-supported uh, version. You have NTC Ansible, Napalm. Um, you have all these different kind of methods. And, you know, for me, for instance, I, I, I can't ever get stuck because Napalm doesn't support something. I have to move on. My clients demand I deliver, so I have to deliver. So I, I always just find a way of getting to work. So to, to me, the, the biggest thing has been just, just that is the, the barrier to entry. Okay. Yeah, so I'd, I'd augment what you know Ken was saying there a little bit in that, you know, I think a framework um, like Ansible, and I would add, I'd add a little asterisk that Salt really interests me as well, and I really want to start doing more due diligence and dive into Salt. But I think a framework like Ansible gives you certain things in, in a systematic way, and Ken mentioned some of them, like it has this whole modularity, so it makes it really easy for you to reuse code that Ken wrote, that I wrote, that other people wrote inside, you know, pretty lightweight scripting. Um, It also has a whole inventory system and a whole variable system. And I think the problem people get into is if they go down the road of build it themselves is it becomes too much dependent likely on a single person. 
and the knowledge of that single person. And he gets too much into, he reinvents everything here. He's mm-hmm. the only one that has any knowledge. He's the only one that's capable of doing automation. And then I think you go down this road where your automation at a certain point for a given organization just ends because the person that knew it's gone, nobody understands how it works. Nobody understands how it fits together. Nobody can really pick it up and mm-hmm. keep moving it forward. Yeah. And I would, I'd be critical of myself a bit in, you know, in, in years past of um, I tended to find uh, fixed problems, but not come up with solutions, if that makes sense. So it was never, it was always, okay, what do I need to do and how do I do that? There was never a framework so that I could leverage this later on. And that was probably a shortcoming, you know, in, in my career, uh, you know, maybe not have a mentorship or whatever else the case may be, not not understanding that. I think but, that's a, um, I think that's a normal progression, though. I mean, like I, I appreciate say, that you're saying that, but I, I think that's like you know, no, scripting, enough, scripting or programming, right? You start off with the with the big long, you know, this does exactly, twenty exactly. things all in one script, none of it's reusable, and then yeah. you, no the guys who this all yeah. one, it's all in mine, yeah. you know. Yes. And, yeah. then, and, and then you look at the guy who's been doing it for twenty years, and like everything is just like completely reusable block of code and nothing the main function is like three lines long yeah, yeah, right? yeah. and like that's it yeah but the unfortunate part with that is you can't read it at first you know it takes no. it takes a while it takes some you know experience to kind of understand you know, where things are and why they're there yeah. all, right. all right i have um so I have another question. What we, we talked about some of the things that somebody that is sort of just starting out with network automation, what they can do to, to get rocking and rolling from the ground level. What can they hope to do later on? So we haven't really touched upon some of those advanced things. We talked about gathering that information. Maybe it's ephemeral information that's short lived or, uh, or, or, or just software versions or VLAN information. Um, we talked about some very minor uh, uh, configuration pushes. I think somebody talked about pushing like interface descriptions, something that's non-invasive, whatever. What are some more advanced things that that folks could hope to do later on that, again, is meaningful and can add value to what they're doing as a network engineer? Yeah, I would say... Um, Go ahead, Ken. Oh, sorry, I keep interrupting you, Kirk. I would say building a, a workflow um, mm, okay. that kind of, you know, uh, you know, let's say a plus one. So, you, you, you know, you, you check in, you know, via Git, whatever else the case may be. And you no longer, you pretty much get yourself away from, from the CLI other than the uh, design architecture aspect of it, right? So design, you build, you know, maybe deploy it manually, you know, to a few places at first or a few pods at first and then, um, you know, automate it. But, but, you know, I mean, the Nirvana is essentially everything is done in, in code, right? So whether variables or whatever, and everything just gets automatically pushed, right? So you, you have a script that sits there and says like it, um, this is a safe change. So thus I could just go ahead and push it right now. We've done this a million times. It's never done an issue, but then you may have someone say, okay, this is a, you know, this requires um, some kind of interaction, but, but with, with the network engineer, but there's still no uh, going on to the CLI, right? Um, you, you, you push playbooks or, you know, uh, you run scripts against your infrastructure said. So, and again, being fully declarative saying, I, I trust my, um, my variables or, or whoever my source, my source of truth no longer becomes the network configuration. It becomes what I maintain, right? And the proof really comes in the pudding where if um, a user or a network engineer goes and, and uh, configures a, a port for a, you know, a server admin, right? And server admin's happy. And then that night we, we declaratively push our intent of the configuration and that gets removed from them well, they're not going to do that again. That's, that's the last time they do that because mm-hmm. they're going to have to go and fix it. 
so, mm-hmm. so that's really to me that fully declarative, you know, uh, you know, completely automated and peer review uh, type system is like the you know the holy grail of Nirvana. You know? That sounds pretty sweet. <laughs> so I'd, I'd add a couple things there in that. So. You know, I think there's some interesting things you can start to do with integration of your workflows and your system. So like, for example, you're adding new networking devices and there's all the things that Ken talked about there with like, okay, well, like how do we get configs managed and pushed to those devices? But whenever you're adding new devices, there's a whole bunch of auxiliary system those devices need to go into. And there's no reason those things like, you know, bandwidth monitoring, uh, management monitoring, up-down monitoring, um, syslog stuff, inventory systems. There's a whole bunch of auxiliary systems these devices need to go into. And mm-hmm. there's no reason that that integration and that process as well can't be happened automatically. So you have some process that adds devices to your network. And as part of that process, well, okay, they're getting added to the inventory system. They're getting added to the up-down system. And this all happens just as part of those work, workflows. Yeah, so those all sound like great opportunities for somebody who's in a much larger environment that they can take advantage of those things. Do you, do you think that there's a benefit uh, for this type of network automation for somebody who's working in a place with maybe, you know, a, a handful of sites and 500, 600 switches that doesn't have that same type of move, add, change, churn going on? I mean, definitely if you're talking yeah. 500, 600. I mean, if you start to get really, really small, then I think there starts to be the trade-off of, is it worth it? Um, mm-hmm. But really, really small would be to me much smaller than five, 600. Um, yeah. You know, if you start getting down under 30, 20, something like that, then you could yeah. definitely see the situation where are saying like, okay, in the long run, are you really saving yourself any time? Now, I mm-hmm. think one thing that happens in the really small bucket is those are getting rolled up by, you know, IT management organizations and the IT management organizations are now managing, you know, in number of those really small customers. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of those still get pushed into this bucket, but just in a slightly, you know, different form. Yeah. Okay. And I think also with the smaller customer where it can come into play is because usually if you're the IT guy or the network guy for someone, someone that's small, you wear multiple hats. So you're also the server guy. You're also the storage guy. You manage the APs. And so that could be an opportunity where you build this stuff out basic, but then you start integrating those workflows together and you can actually use that opportunity to build that type of stuff together. So you're not just necessarily building out and provisioning servers. You're doing the VLANs and the, the trunks and things like that as well as you're going up. Yeah. And starting small, right? There's no reason that you have to, you know, write some script that touches every single device in your network, right? I mean, you could start with a, a rack or a closet. Um, you know, if you're, if you're in a, a place that has just a few hundred switches, who's to say that you can't start in just an MDF and, uh, sure. and do it that way, right? Well, and, yeah. and that's, the, that's also a key. We kind of hit on that a little mm-hmm. earlier, Jordan did, is we don't have to do the whole process all at once. We don't have yeah. to build start to finish, you know, let's, let's pick a piece of it. Let's grab the low hanging fruit. Yeah. You know, let's, let's automate the build of the config and then we'll manually push it. And then okay. the next, next yeah. innovation iteration, we can, you know, do a ZTP type process. Yeah. And I would add to that, it, not only that you don't have to, but you shouldn't be trying to do that. I think you're setting yourself up for failure. If you view it as being, I have to do everything. You need to find like some small part of your process and automate that. And then, you know, find a second small part, part of your process. I just feel like Kirk is just stealing my thoughts as I'm thinking them. <laughs> so. Just saying them before me. 
So guys, I where I do that. <laughs> where do you uh, where do you guys recommend that folks can go online to uh, to get some information, some material, just to get started, to you know, ground level kind of stuff, and and then build up from there. Where where can folks go? You know, um, uh, perhaps I'm biased, but I think uh, the Network to Code uh, uh, Slack channel is um, a ton of great people. You know, mm-hmm. a ton of open source maintainers, and just um, you know, some industry titans there too. Yeah. Uh, it's an open channel, right? And, and myself, you know, <laughs> and yourself. <laughs> I, I'll second network to code. That's that Slack group is amazing. And the conversation that goes on there and the people that are involved, it's, it's become phenomenal. It's an awesome resource. One of my greatest um, uh, events that happened there was somebody, you know, probably a newer engineer came on and said, what is a subnet? And it was, you know, oh maybe a little bit of an eye roll, yeah. you know, a moment for myself, but then all of a sudden you end up getting some, like, uh, I think Russ White and like a few other people, like some Titans really kind of in there and really started getting in down such a, you know, uh, like an eight, you know, uh, question. Um, it, it was pretty interesting and pretty kind of a uh, surreal in a sense. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely a really great community. And um, I've been really impressed in general with just how, open and you know friendly you know friendly good interactions people have in there like you know that you know some environments are more open and better to interact with and it's been really sort of amazing across time in that yeah Yeah. i i also uh subscribe to kirk's emails um and some other folks out there so there's a ton of resources online um everybody all these guys here have github pages that you can check out as well uh we've just scratched the surface um glancing at our show notes we got through a small part of it and then also just knowing uh knowing these guys and and what they do we we really are just scratching the surface so so we encourage you to to dig in in, into those resources that are out there uh many of them are just free and open for for anybody and and the the people are awesome so uh, there's always help available uh kirk ryan ken this has been a really great show we really appreciate you guys being here your expertise uh your passion for what you do um, and to our audience, thanks for checking out this episode today. Please make sure to uh, follow us on Twitter at uh, Net Collective PC. What is it, Jordan? Net Collective PC. You got it. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I forgot that. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, tweet at us. Email us. Let us know what uh, what you think. We love those comments and that feedback. Our LinkedIn page, our Facebook page. We love hearing from you. Uh, so again, thanks to our guests and for checking us out today. Uh, before we go, I'd like to give uh, our my co-hosts an opportunity to uh, let us let everyone know where we can find them. So Yvonne, why don't we start with you? Yeah, you can find me on the blog at esharp.net or on Twitter at Sharp Network. Great. And Jordan? Uh, yeah, so I'm at BC Jordo on Twitter, and my blog is jordanmartin.net. Great. I'm Phil Gervasi. You can find me on Twitter at network underscore Phil. My blog is networkphil.com. So check us out in a few weeks when we have a really cool show coming up uh, where we're going to talk about the quote-unquote sacred cows of, of networking, uh, those things that we sort of – uh, assumed to be true, but maybe aren't. We're gonna we're gonna take a deep dive into that, and make sure that you're checking out our other um, uh, shows like the History of Networking, where we have some really awesome guests coming on uh, from time to time to talk about what's been going on in the industry for, for in years past. Uh, so again, thanks for watching. We'll see you next time. <laughs>